to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Hi, welcome to CRISPR Cuts. I'm Sally. And I'm Brittany. And today we'll be hosting today's show for a change. Our guest today is Shonda Pruitt-Miller from St. Jude's Research Hospital. Welcome, Shandra. Thank you. Nice to be here. All right. So uh, first, we kind of would like to ask you a little bit about what you do at St. Jude and your current research, um, and maybe about a little bit about your background as well. Yeah. So uh, I've been doing genome engineering basically my whole scientific career. So I did my PhD on zinc finger nucleases, which is kind of like the grandfather of CRISPR-Cas9, if you will. Uh, it was in Matthew Portis's lab, and so we were at the time just doing protein engineering, trying to get zinc finger proteins, nucleases, to actually cut some specific site in the mm-hmm. genome. And it's sad to think now, but I spent you know five years basically making a pair of zinc finger nucleases that would cut GFP. Mm-hmm. So it was very exciting at the time, but it quickly became outdated. And so then after graduate school, I went directly into industry, and I worked for Sigma Aldridge on their composer ZFN technology, where we were doing ZFNs. And it was an exciting time in genome editing because for me especially, because I had been doing protein engineering, and then I was able to go to Sigma, and they would give us the proteins, and we could actually do genome editing. For the first time, really, I was able to, like, okay, I want to make this point mutation. How do we do it? And we were able to do some of the first different types of editing. So, like, with Fu Cheng Chen, we published a paper where we're using single-stranded oligodonors, which almost everybody uses now. We were one of the first to do that um, and show it. We could do it with high efficiency with zinc finger nucleases. And so then in 2012, so pre-CRISPR still, I decided that I wanted to start a shared resource. At the time, zinc finger nucleases were so expensive that people weren't really able to access them, especially in academics. So I think at the time, zinc finger nucleases were like $25,000 for just two plasmids. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't actually do your editing. You had to still do all the editing to get your cell line or animal model. So it was frustrating to me because I was like, this is game-changing technology. People... People need access to this. This is going to change science as we know it. And so I actually went to Washington University and I pitched the idea of starting a shared resource. I said, you know, people don't want to become genome engineering experts. They want their cell line. They want to make do a screen. They want their animal model and they want to continue asking the questions that they are experts in. They just want the tool for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's start a resource. Let's be the, you know, genome engineering experts and then we'll help other people. We'll expedite science at WashU and around the world. And so we started that. It's called the Genome Engineering IPSC Center. It's still going strong, the GEIC there. And then in 2017, uh, I got a call from St. Jude, and they were like, hey, we want to start something like what you're doing at, at, at WashU at St. Jude. And I, I said, no, <laughs> I'm not interested. At the time, I was actually six months pregnant with my second child. Um, I had started this, this core, the GEIC, from, you know, it was like my first child, not my biological child, but something that I created from the ground up. I cared about the people and what we were doing. So I was really not very interested. And they said, well, just come and consult for us and to help tell us how to get this thing going. And short story long, I guess, I ended up moving to St. Jude because it's, it's kind of a really special place to do research. I say it's like a magic fairytale land to do research, <laughs> especially for a shared resource. So we actually are given dedicated R&D time and we're institutionally subsidized. And so um, most academic groups, uh, shared resources pay their own way. So basically the services that they provide pay their salaries, pay for the reagents that they're using. But at St. Jude, they say, you know, we're going to guarantee your salaries. We're going to give you money to actually do the, the science that you need to do to help everybody at St. Jude. So you don't have to worry about that. Just do good science. So that's very freeing. And then the ability to have a dedicated R&D budget. So we're like, okay, we're going to not only 
do genome editing for other people, we're going to add back to the field and, and keep at the forefront of it. So I know that was a really long answer, but <laughs> that's my background. I've been doing a lot of genome editing with ZFNs, Talons, and CRISPR over the last 15 years or so. That's great. Could you tell us about a couple of your research projects that you have going on? Yeah, so we do a lot of things to improve efficiency. We have some ideas about how to get longer inserts into, so one of the things that's really hard about CRISPR is when you're trying to knock something in, it's fairly easy to do something small like a point mutation or a flag tag, but it gets more difficult as the insert increases. So Rachel Levine in the lab, she's working on how to get longer inserts in, increasing their overall rates of HDR. That's something Sam Peters in the lab is working on. He has some strategies for enriching the donor concentration in the nucleus. And I think one of the most exciting things that we're working on is a cure sickle cell initiative, basically, where they're, you know, St. Jude, it's a uh, research hospital. We, we actually have a large sickle cell population in Memphis. I think there's about 800 sickle cell patients that we see at St. Jude. And so St. Jude has actually partnered with several other groups, not only at St. Jude, but also outside of St. Jude. So we basically work towards making a therapeutic for sickle cell disease. Um, and so Mitch Weiss, um, Shang Sai, and myself from St. Jude are in that consortium. And so we're, we're really working forward, hopefully going to a therapeutic um, in the coming years. And so that's one of the more exciting things that we're doing that's more closely related to the uh, translational medicine. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about just different technologies that you've tried with CRISPR editing? So if you tried like plasmid, how did you come across Synthigo or synthetic sgRNA and how does that work for you? Yeah, so we actually were making our own guide RNAs for five years. So we would mostly do plasmid cloning where we take two oligos, you kneel them together, you cut the backbone with a type 2 S restriction enzyme, and then you basically plop them in, ligate them into the plasmid. And that works, but it takes probably like four hours of hands-on time-ish over the course of about three to five days. And so whenever, you know, we saw that you could do synthetic guides, I guess the limitation was people weren't able to synthesize the long RNAs, right? And so I think that that's where Synthigo kind of burst on the scene. And so that we saw that, that was attracted to us, um, but we needed to be able to do it quickly, right? So we can make these plasmids fairly quickly. We could do, also do IVT and make that fairly quickly. But the synthetics at the time, you know, there were companies that were doing it, but it was very expensive. You'd get quite a lot, and we don't really need a lot. We have a lot of smaller projects that we're doing. It took too long for us, right? So we're trying to make cell lines for folks, or we're trying to make animal models for folks, and we don't want to have to wait a month to just get the guide. So that's why we were making them ourselves. So Synthigo came on the scene. I think we started, we made our first order to Synthigo in October of 2017. And they basically gave us a quick turnaround time. I think we were like beta testing a small, the smaller scale early on. And so from then, I guess this, the rest is history. Instead of doing this cloning and picking bacterial colonies and doing mini preps, we were able to do make more cell lines and make more animal models and do more research. You know, CRISPR is a relatively young technology, but it's made a, a pretty big impact as you've mentioned already. What do you think the next five years will look like and where do you think the field is heading? Yeah, that's... It's an interesting question. I guess there's two or three or four different areas that you could think about. I think about basic science and experimental biology. How can we do things more efficiently to make cell lines so that people can understand a biological process or ask a biological question? So I'm usually thinking about research purposes. I think it's only getting faster, more efficient, and cheaper, which is really democratizing research in a lot of different ways. I think CRISPR has been probably the biggest discovery, understanding how to do CRISPR. 
since PCR. Like I think it, it will change science, the face of science, as much as PCR has changed science, maybe more. And then you think about therapeutics. I mean, therapeutic trials are going on with CRISPR-Cas9. I think people are starting with blood stuff because they can get to the stem cells. And they're starting with eye stuff because they can get to the right cells. So I think one of the things, the biggest limitation to CRISPR as far as a therapeutic is delivery. How do you get it to the right cells? Um, so I think that's a limitation. I don't know. I guess I would really say the sky is the limit. <laughs> Just the ability to be able to go into a complex genome and make precise modifications is huge. I think we're only going to get better. SPCAS9 and all the variants and orthologs, they're pretty darn good. You know, we worry about off-targets. For research purposes, we're not as worried about it because, you know, we're studying a question. But for therapeutics, it's really important. But we've made such big advances since you think about 2012, 2013. It's, it's just, it's a whirlwind. <laughs> and you think about how, you know, I think ZFNs really paved the way. But, it, you know, ZFNs were used in mammalian cells in like 1999. But you could argue 2003. But, you know, it took 2003 to 2010 before we even had talons. And then, you know, talons had a very short heyday. And then CRISPR has really, really just blown on the scene. And I think there's just... It's huge diagnostics, agriculture, therapeutics. It's just it's kind of unlimited possibilities. So I think we'll see in the next few years, and we're seeing now a lot of ethical questions. Like people are asking, what should we do? Because we can do a lot of things, but what should we do? And I think that that's one of the things that people will be discussing over the next few years and now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're, we're so happy that Chandra was able to join us today on CRISPR Cuts, and it was amazing hearing about your research and the great things you're doing at St. Jude. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at CRISPRCuts at Synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.